We are in this uh, sermon series from the book of James, which asks a very provocative, uh, important question is, how then shall we live? As Christians, how then do we live in difficult, troubled times? It's a very wonderful question to ask, but now what we need to do is hear from James. Wisdom for people who are living in distressed times, even like our own. And now he comes to a wonderful place in our series, in James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, to talk about the Father of Lights. The Father of Lights. It is a wonderful uh, answer to many of the questions that the early Christians had, and maybe we have as well. Is So how do we explain the distress we're going through? How do we explain uh, what's going on in our lives when there are trials and temptations swirling around us? That's what he wants to talk with us about this morning. When the surface of the earth turns on its axis away from the light of the sun, there is darkness. There is light. There is night, rather. To the enlightened observer... It might appear that the sun has dropped into the sea. However, nighttime is ordained by God. It's ordained to have a good purpose and is to be expected. There's a day and there's a night. And when the moon comes between the sun and the earth, there is an eclipse. And this too has been ordained by God and is to be expected. To the uninformed sky gazer, it may seem like the sun has ceased to shine, but it hasn't. Likewise, when tests, trials, and temptations come between us and the Lord, darkness seems to shroud or veil our eyes from seeing the light of God's grace that it is still shining on us, even though We're in the midst of a dark day. These times are also ordained by God. And these days as well have a good purpose. And they are to be expected. There will be dark and there will be light. There will be happy days and there will be sad days. In the shadow of our darkest day... Or night, we are tempted to question God's motivations. And why does He allow certain things to come into our life? And James is attempting to uh, answer some of those questions that we might have and they had in the first century. They may have had questions like this If we're going through such a difficult time in our life, has God changed His mind about us? Uh, Is he still on the throne? Is he still in control? Does God really care? I mean really care about us. Does he really care that we're suffering? You see, the answers to those questions are the answers we need so that we can count it all joy when we go through these difficult times. So James wrote to answer these kinds of questions. And he's reminding those who are suffering, the saints, 
God's people, the Christians, that the light of God's love and grace never, ever stop shining on us. Even though there is darkness. Nothing in God has changed. But our circumstances, they certainly do change. Jesus therefore wrote to shine the light of God's word into the Christian's dark hour of suffering in the first century. And maybe even to what you're going through now. Here's what he says. James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I want to spend some time to unpack that for us this morning because he's answering some basic, essential questions about who is God. What is he like? In the previous four verses, James has argued that God is not the author of sin. Whether it came by a trial that's in our life or by temptations that surround us. He's not the author of sin. Instead, he has affirmed for us that God is infinitely holy, morally perfect in every way. Therefore, he has no capacity and not even the slightest desire to sin. He is anathema to sin. It is anathema to him to even think of it or to even look upon it. And the Bible calls this God the Father of Lights. And his name is filled, this name is filled with wonderful truths about our magnificent God. When we're going through dark days, we must have a big, huge picture of God in our mind. You can't shrink it down. You must have a full, complete, clear view of who God is to be able to go through these dark times and to see the goodness of God. Now his first assertion is critical to our understanding of God and we've already begun to allude to it. The father of lights is infinitely good. That's sometimes what's obscured when we're going through bad times. If I'm going through bad times, how can God be good? Do you understand where that goes? Our God is not fickle. He's not temperamental. He's not impatient, uncaring, or uninterested in our adversity. 
though in the midst of a trial we may think that's possible. To the contrary, the scriptures say he's immutable. That means he cannot and will never change. He's reliable. He's patient. He's caring. And he's deeply interested in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. He cares. He wants to know. He wants to have a part in these things in our life. Um, That's the side of God we must remember. Especially when you're going through difficult times. And that's how James began this letter. Is to present to us the God who's referred to as the Father of lights. And so in our text, he begins with a warning. He warned the beloved. These are the, those beloved of God. Don't be deceived in your trials. You see, darkness can sometimes deceive us. So he's saying, don't let the darkness deceive you from thinking that your trials serve no purpose. And his answer to that was what? Count it or count them all joy. Don't be deceived thinking there is no one to turn to. And what does he tell us to do? Ask God for wisdom. Don't be deceived into thinking that the poor have no worth. Instead, he says, glory in your exaltation. Don't be deceived thinking that the rich have more worth. It's easier for them. He said, glory in your humiliation. Don't be deceived into thinking that God could sin and that he's tempting us to sin. He can't because he's what? He's holy. Don't be deceived into thinking that our fleshly desire will satisfy us when it only results in what he says will bring forth is death. What we're looking at today in our nation, what we're looking at around the world is death. Wonderful book written by Francis Shaver. It's been one of the most influential books of my life. It's called Death in the City. There is death in the city because we have as a people yielded to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We are reaping now the birth of death. So don't blame God for our trials or our temptations or the consequences of our own sin. James is trying to lay out very clearly that trials are to be expected as the night follows a sunset. But it is also true. After the night, a bright sunrise begins a new day. Trials enter our lives because we live in a fallen world. Satan tempts us to doubt and to accuse God for our difficulties. Don't be deceived. However, this is wonderful to keep in mind when you're being tempted or going through a difficult time. Satan cannot even touch or tempt us unless God first permits him to do so. 
So whatever has entered into your life by way of trial or temptation, it is God who has allowed it. He did not design it. He did not promote it. He allowed it. Because he's sovereign and he has purposes for all those things that come our way. There are trials that enter our lives that are a consequence, a direct consequence of our own sinful choices. And we must live with those consequences, even though we are forgiven. But even when we fail, God's sovereign grace and rule, they never change. Are we grateful for that? I am. This is the hope of 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. I think this may have been one of the early songs or choruses of some sort in the early church. Many who believe that. And I can see why. It's like a short catechism. If we have died with him, what? We will also live with him. If we endure We will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If you reject the gospel, you will be rejected. If we are faithless, I love this last one. I could just sing that part of the chorus all day. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He can't deny the promises he made. He can't deny his holy nature. He will always remain faithful, even though you find me failing, falling, frail. Now, James turns to reinforce this idea of the God of lights, the Father of lights, that he is infinitely holy in every way. And now he talks about the Father of lights. The Father of lights gives only What is what? Good. (laughs) The Father of light gives only what is good. He's infinitely good. Infinitely holy. So whatever he chooses to do or not do is for his glory and who's good? Our good. And are we going through a trial? Have you gone through a dark night lately? It's also important to remember this. Not only is he infinitely good so that whatever he chooses to do or not do is for his glory and our good, but listen to this one. Because he is infinitely good, whatever he chooses to give us or take away is for his glory and our good. The things that James is saying here are very, how do you say, concise, straightforward, clear, but they're so profound because these are the truths that transform the way we look at ourselves, at God, and the problems we go through in life. What is James doing here? He's trying to give us an adequate and appropriate view of God that will get us through our darkest nights. 
If he were not the giver of all good things, there would be no good upon the earth. I'm going to repeat that again. If God were not the giver of all good things, there would be no good upon the earth if it even existed after that. (coughs) What would be the result? Well, there would only be a perpetual dark winter of sin on the earth. So here we go. If there is any good, I mean any good at all on the earth or in your life, it comes from an infinitely good God. If we counted the good times, the good things that we have had in life, they all came from Him. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. From your family, your health, so many things. All the way down to a a little 16-week puppy. (laughs) Even in that, God is good. If we counted all the good things in our life, we'd be overwhelmed. But darkness has a way of causing us to forget. To focus on what we don't have. Or the problem that's in our life. Every good gift, every perfect gift, says James, has come from one source. From heaven. It comes from our infinitely good God. And they've all these good things that we enjoy have come to bless his people. He wants to bless us. But he also wants us to grow. He also wants us to know how to glorify him when things are not good. Our Heavenly Father is called the Father of Lights because he is the Father of The light. And who is that? His beloved son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that our heavenly father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, dwells in unapproachable, radiant white light. Glory beyond our understanding. His glory is like that of the sun, but infinitely greater. It's beyond our human comprehension. And from his holy nature comes only good purposes and good things. Only good purposes and good things. And it was the Father who sent forth His Son to give us light and life. That's what John tells us. In Him, that is in Christ, in the Word, was life And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, and it would also say, cannot overcome the light. Christ is the greatest example of God's perfect gift that was given to us. He came from the side of the Father to dwell with us below. 
He is the light of the world. The light of the Father given to us to bring light in this dark world. He's infinitely perfect in every way. If you met Jesus back 2,000 years ago, you would have met God in human flesh. Perfect in every way. Because he is the visible manifestation of the invisibly perfect and holy God. Jesus referred to himself as the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In a world of darkness, if you know Christ, you have the light of the world to guide you through this incredibly dark place. He came without any sin, any sin in him at all, to take upon himself all, all, every sin of ours, and then gives us all of his perfect righteousness without anything held back. What an amazing, glorious exchange is that. Light for darkness. Righteousness for sin. Eternal life for condemnation. But when he came into this dark world, he was rejected. He was rejected because of the darkness of the human heart. Jesus spoke about this. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds, their works were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Have you ever been in a situation at work, at school, athletic field, or court, and people were saying terrible things, and you said, I don't care to talk about that? How do they respond to you? Usually, like, who cares what you think? The darkness does not want the light shining in the workplace. It does not want the light to shine at the place where you live, in the neighborhood in which you live. That's why we are rejected. I wish we were being rejected because we're so good. (laughs) We're rejected because we believe in the light. Men love darkness rather than the light because they desire the pleasures that come from sin. They love that above everything else. In spite of being rejected by sinners, Christ came and insisted upon making sons of light out of sons of darkness. This is what he said. The light is among you for a while longer. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. God is insistent and determined to bring forth light in darkness. 
to transform us from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God is very insistent. And thank God that he is. He doesn't ever give up on us. Have you failed lately? Have you doubted? Have you questioned? Have you failed? Have you faltered? I can tell you this. Not God. He never gives up. Even when we are faithless. The father of lights is also the creator of the lights. Thinking of the celestial lights. God is the creator of all things. In the beginning when darkness was upon the face of the deep. God spoke. All he had to do is speak something into existence. And he brought forth light. He called the dark night and the day. The light of the day, day. And he proclaimed it's good. And after he created the waters, the dry ground, the plants, the sun, the moon, the galaxy, the fish in the sea, the birds of the air and the animals of the fields, he declared what? It is good. And after handcrafting, forming and shaping his image bearers from the red clay of the garden, he pronounced, it is good. It is very good. We were created in the image of God who is infinitely good. And he created us to be good in his sight. He loves us deeply. There's nothing else like us anywhere that I can read in the scriptures. You're not a worm. You're not an amoeba that got smart. You're not a spark that made everything come to life. You are here. I am here by the design, the love, the grace of God. We are the objects of his love and affection. And he has created us to be good. No man is good in himself. And yet, he loves us. Therefore, God is the creator of all things that are good. Because he's infinitely good. Therefore we can conclude again. God is not the author of sin. And man is guilty. And is accountable for his own sin. That is because God is eternally. And immutably good. When he uses the word immutably. Do you know what that means? It means he can't change. Won't change. He's consistent. James says he has no variation in him. No variation. That means he never changes his holy character, his eternal purposes, or unfailing love for his people. So I failed. Does that change his love? Should it? Yes. (laughs) But does it? No. Why? Because he can't deny himself. We have a persistent, stubborn God. And I am so grateful he is. Stubbornly in love with us. Stubbornly determined to change us. Stubbornly determined to bring us to faith. Stubbornly determined to bring us to glory. I 
I am so grateful for that. I love being able to preach like that. When you could just say, that's what God is like. He's not arbitrary. He's not dispassionate. He will forever be holy and good to us. The Lord himself declared, for I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi 3.6. James also tells us he has no shadow of turning. He's infinitely perfect and never has two sides to his character. Like a good side, bad side. Light side, dark side. He's only fully pure, fully light, and pure life. 1 John 1, 7. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Ever. Never will be. The lights of the galaxy may blink, they may fade, they may fall, but God will never, ever change. He never casts a shadow. He is perfect light. If you were to stand in the presence of Christ today, you could look around him and you say, there's no shadow. Because he's glorious. Glory is around him everywhere. That's why in our trials we need to remember that God didn't change and all of a sudden become a bad God, malevolent God, or all of a sudden he's no longer interested in us. That's not the case. Rather, he is and will always remain the eternal consistent. The eternal consistent. A number of years ago, one of my granddaughters severely broke her elbow. And she was rushed to the local ER. And I was called to come and be with my daughter, my granddaughter, because uh, her husband, my son-in-law, if you would, was out of town at the time. So when I walked into the ER, you know, being a pastor, I've been in these places many times. I'm kind of thinking, okay, here I am to be a pastor to my daughter and granddaughter. You know, all that experience did me no good. <laughs> there was my granddaughter. She was laying on the gurney. She was afraid. She was trying to hold back her big tears in her eyes. And I attempted to look very controlled as I tried to console her. But inside, my heart was breaking. And a nurse came in to start an IV before the surgery. But she struggled to find the tiny veins in her arm. So that every time the nurse stuck that needle in her arm and missed a vein, my granddaughter let out a cry and a scream. And I don't mind telling you, all I could... I, could, I just could hardly stand there and see that. But why was I feeling such love and empathy for my granddaughter? It's because 
She was my beloved daughter's child. Whom I love deeply. If my daughter hurt because of her daughter, my heart broke. At the moment I thought, just stop. Stop the IV now. I don't want to see my granddaughter go through this anymore. Quit the suffering. At the moment, I just thought, that's probably the best thing to do. And then, as I started to contemplate, I thought, wait a minute. Her tears now will be forgotten when she uses her arm again after surgery. The reason I share my experience with you, and you've probably had this as well in your life, is to reinforce what I believe to be true about God. Why would we imagine that our Heavenly Father doesn't care about us when we're suffering, when you hurt. Sometimes I think we think that he lives so far away that he hardly has any connection with us. Or because he's so glorious, he doesn't know what we're going through, doesn't have a sense of empathy with us. How wrong. And you know what happened after that day? Well, matter of fact, it happens quite often. My granddaughter runs up to me and she gives me a big hug with a very strong elbow and arm and she says to me, I love you, Poppy. I'd love to hear that from my grandchildren and my family. And the reason I reinforce this to you this morning is that's what I believe is true of our God. There are things that our Heavenly Father permits And he will allow to enter our lives that bring us tears and sorrow. But they're all part of his eternal purpose and our ultimate good. His love for us hasn't changed when our circumstances have. He is emphatic. He is sympathetic to our suffering. If a trial serves no good purpose in your life, he will not allow it to enter our lives. So what we're going through is what he's allowed. He's permitted for things we may not even know why. And the greatest example of God's goodness and grace is found in our salvation. James reminds us that our salvation is the ultimate reason that we can rejoice in our trials. The Father of lights is the author of our salvation. He's a good God who works good things, and the greatest thing he ever did was save us from our sin. And that's what James is going to say. This is another reason going through dark times. Remember how you came to life. How the light brought change and brought life into your life. Who decided to bring us forth? James answers that very clearly. It was the will of God, not ours. See, sometimes I think Christians think we're the ones who made the best choice. Yes, we were involved in making the choice to surrender to Christ. But behind that is the work 
of God. That's what John 1, 12 through 13 is saying to us. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. He gave us the power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor even the will of man. How did you come forth to become a Christian? By the will of God. Does that prove how good God is? If I, by my own will, could never, would never choose to follow Christ, and he was persistent and determined and stubborn to change my life by bringing the word of God into my life, what does that say about God? What does it say about his love for us? God took the initiative. All those chosen by the Father before the foundation, they will come to faith and will be given eternal life. When the suffering saints are tempted to question the love and care of God, they need to remember it was God by his infinite goodness that brought them forth from spiritual death into eternal life. You see, previously James has said, Sin brings forth what? Death. What does God bring forth? Life. Because he's good. And how did God do this, by the way? Well, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The gospel is the power of God to save for salvation for everyone who believes. If you are here this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because God brought you forth, gave you faith, and it came through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God. The Holy Spirit used that. That's why Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to stand in front of others and to say I'm being baptized because of my faith in Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, that is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks and the Gentiles and the likes of us. And it's the Holy Spirit that uses the word of God, the word of truth, to regenerate us, make us born new, from spiritual death to spiritual life. How does God, what does God use? He uses the preached word of God, the taught word of God, the read word of God, the memorized word of God. He willed our salvation by the goodness of his grace and not for anything good in us. Wow, is, does that... Puncture your balloon, your ego, to think that he brought us to faith. Because, you know, I mean, really, look at us. Aren't we just a little better than the guy out there who hasn't come to faith? I mean, really, haven't we come from better families? Haven't we come from a better nation? Aren't I a little smaller? Didn't I get the right degree? I mean, seriously here. 
Don't we dress right? Uh, don't, no comments afterwards for me. You get what I'm saying is that this the salvation, it destroys the, the human pride. It's not about us. It's about the goodness of God. If you were to stand before Christ today and he'd say, why are you here? There's many answers you could give, and I'll tell you one good one. It would be this. I'm here because you are infinitely good, and I'm not. It's not that we love God. What? But he first loved us. That's what the scripture says. It's not that we chose God, but that he chose us. God therefore regenerates spiritually dead men and women and he gives them faith to believe. Romans, we could go through all kinds of scripture. I won't weigh you down. So faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. He brought us forth by the word and the Holy Spirit uses the word and he brings about new life. Just as God spoke light out of darkness at creation, so he speaks through his word to bring forth light in a new creation. And who is the new creation? It's us. And why did God bring us forth? James says, to be the first fruits of all of his creatures. You see, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of creation. And we are the first fruits of his creation. That means we were chosen to inherit God's creation. A new heaven and a new earth. I agree. The elect, the child of God, are the first and the finest fruits Planted and harvested by the Holy Spirit. He planted the seed of the word in our hearts. And then he brought forth new life. And the spirit is the one who guarantees. Our salvation. And guarantees that he will bring forth much good fruit. To come. We who are in darkness are now living in the kingdom of light. Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. What a kingdom. It's a kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of God ruling and reigning over everything. He rules over every part of our life. Because he's transformed us. Transferred us. From this kingdom here of darkness. Over here. To the kingdom of light. If anyone here today is living in the shadow of despair. Resentful of God's providence. Remember, God is the father of lights. He's immutably holy, good, and righteous. He casts no shadow. 
He's the eternal constant we could rely on. His word is true even though our emotions may tell us otherwise. If there is any goodness in our lives, any goodness today at all, in your life or here in the world, and there's any good left at all around us, it's only here because God is good. In our trials, the Father of lights hasn't ceased to shine his light on us. It may look like an eclipse. It may be like a night. But his face never stops shining his light on us. The Lord bless you. Keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his counts upon you and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived by your emotions, by the temptations of the world, because God is the Father of light. Father, thank you for my dear friends, my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. We are here by divine providence, by your divine will. You're the one who has worked this magnificent transfer of our citizenship from the realm and the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so, Father, where we have been faithless, we thank you that you are faithful. Give hope to people here this morning. If it seems like all the good of life has been cast away, it hasn't because you're still here. Your goodness still resides in us. Give hope to your people even today to cast their burdens, their cares, their concerns upon you because we know you care for us. Bless our church. Lord, may the light shine brightly upon us. May we sense that you are guiding and directing us through the night. Keep leading us. Keep directing us. Show us the path ahead. Thank you, Father, for our time together. Bless this afternoon as we celebrate your work in the lives of eight people, eight brothers and sisters who have come to dedicate their lives to you and to show their are want to be faithful followers of Jesus. Bless them today as well. In Jesus' name, amen.